So imagine that you were part of the people of Israel. A few hours ago, you were trapped between the Red Sea in front of you and Pharaoh's armies and chariots thundering toward you, behind you. But then God, beautifully, moves the cloud of his presence from in front of you to behind you, between you and Pharaoh's armies to protect you. And then God tells Moses to stretch out his staff over the Red Sea. And as Moses does that, the Red Sea parts. And you go across on dry land, all the way to the other side. But then you look back and you see Pharaoh's chariots and armies are thundering towards you across the dry land. And God says to Moses, raise up your staff over the channel now. And Moses does so. And the waters rush back in. Pharaoh's armies are completely destroyed. And all that's left is the the calm Red Sea. No Pharaoh's armies to be seen. That's what happens in Exodus chapter 14, which we looked at last week. And what happens next, what happens next is glorious. It's beautiful. It is just so, so right what takes place in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Look at what we read. Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. There they were on the shore of the Red Sea. Over a million, the nation of Israel, massive nation. And what did they do after this astonishing delivery? They sang. They sang a song of worship written by Moses. A song which is found right here in Exodus chapter 15. And this morning, we're going to dig into this song of Moses, which they sang that day. But before we do that, I want to show you how important this song of Moses is. By having us look first at one verse in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, which gives us a glimpse of worship in heaven. Look at what songs are being sung in heaven. Revelation 15, 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb of Jesus, the Lamb of God, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nation. So in this glimpse of worship in heaven, God's people are singing the song of Moses and the song of the the Lamb, of Jesus. Now this is probably, many commentators think, I think they're right, one song put together from Exodus 15 and possibly Deuteronomy 32, which is another song of Moses, and which has parts added to it to point to what Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, did in the even greater deliverance of delivering us from sin. So there's a clear connection between 
Exodus 15, this song of Moses and what Jesus Christ has done in delivering us from sin. God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt was a great deliverance. But like everything in the Old Testament, it's pointing to the greater work that Jesus Christ would do, the greater Moses. When Jesus delivered us from sin, that was a far greater deliverance. And so this song in Exodus 15 is is pointing towards what Jesus would do. It's a picture of, of how we were trapped in our sin, sin of our guilt, between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies, and, and Jesus took our sin and our guilt upon himself. And he was punished. The blameless, sinless Son of God had never sinned. Fully God, fully man, never sinned. He took our sin, our guilt upon himself, and he was punished. The scourging, the beating, the nails, the suffering, to pay for our sin. And then he rose from the dead. That's what he did. And so by dying on the cross, picture it, he divided the Red Sea and he conquered Pharaoh's army so we could go across all the way to heaven. That, the even greater deliverance of what Jesus has done for us. So Revelation 15.3 shows that what God did in delivering Israel from Egypt is a picture of what Jesus has done in delivering us from sin. Not only that, the way that God's people responded back in Exodus chapter 15 to this amazing deliverance is a picture of how we will respond when we see what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. How will we respond when we see the deliverance that Jesus has accomplished for us? We can learn that from Exodus 15 by seeing how God's people responded to that deliverance. And I find four answers in Exodus chapter 15. So let's just go through this. First of all, what will happen to us when we see what Jesus has done for us? We will sing and praise and exalt Jesus. Verse 1, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So we will, we will sing. God's people sing in the Old Testament. We will be singing in heaven. We will sing now like we've been singing. We will sing. Now, just like Pastor Ben said this morning, singing is God's gift to us. We didn't come up with singing. Singing wasn't just some band said, hey, let's create singing, or some church choir needed something to do, let's do singing. Singing was God's idea. Back in the book of Job, we read that on the day of creation, angels were singing praise to God. So singing's way before us. Singing is a gift from God. Because singing is a powerful way to express truth with feeling and with emotion. I mean, this morning we could have read the words of these songs and that would have been good and glorious and true. But oh, when you add the dynamics of music to to those truths, wow, what a gift singing is to us. So they, they sing. And this is one of the first times in the Bible that all of God's people come together to sing in worship. Then look at verse 2. The song continues. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him 
Now notice how personal this is. Worship is your, your my strength, your my song. So think about those words. God is your strength. Because of what Jesus has done, the God of the universe is your strength. When you are weak, when you are fearful or discouraged, when you are downcast, feeling insecure, where do you turn? Where do you go? We all go to something to get strong. God is your strength. No one will strengthen you like God strengthens you. And God is your song, the highest joy, the greatest expression of joy we have because God is our greatest joy is in God. He is our song. He's our salvation. He, through his son Jesus, has saved us from sin's guilt and power. He is my God and my Father's God. The words of this song here are identifying just who this God is. We're not talking about Krishna or Buddha. We're talking about the God of Moses' fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, in this culture, probably in every culture, it's not enough to talk about God when you talk to people because they won't know what you're talking about. Tell them about Jesus, and they will know. Jesus. We, we do talk about God. We want to honor God the Father, but, oh, we've got to talk about Jesus to really help people understand what we're talking about. So here, God is identified. Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Father of our Lord Jesus. And so notice that they sing and praise and exalt him in these verses. That's what we do. We sing about how loving God is, like we have this morning, how powerful he is, how faithful he is, how strong, how kind, how gentle, how gracious he is. Now, why is worship so important? All through the Bible, God calls his people, worship, praise, exalts. Why is it so important? Uh, does God need to be reminded of how great he is? No. Is God maybe a little bit insecure? Maybe he needs to have his ego stroked a little bit, like kind of a vain person needs to be told that they're okay? Uh, no. Why does God call us to praise him and worship him? Now, Hunter mentioned this a few weeks ago in his sermon, which was so helpful. But let me give you this quote from C.S. Lewis, who I think just nails the point beautifully. C.S. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. I mean just think about it. When you see an incredible sunset, okay, off Sadiat maybe, or when you hear a moving song, or read a gripping book. What do you want to do? You want to tell somebody about it. You want to post it on Facebook, get it on Instagram, call up your friends. That's what you want to do. Now, now why? It's just like C.S. Lewis says. It's because when you share your joy in something, when you express your joy in something, your joy increases. Isn't that funny? Isn't that good? Isn't that powerful? And they're nodding. And it's like your joy in that increases. Expressed joy increases that joy. And so God, in his love for us, says, give praise to me. 
exalt me, express your adoration for me. Not because he's needy. He is not needy. He is full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. He's an overflowing fountain of white hot, passionate joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. And he calls us to worship so we can share in his joy in the Trinity and so that we can increase our joy in who God is. So it's, an, it's a statement of love for us that God calls us to praise and sing and worship. Didn't you experience that this morning? Our joy increases as we express our praise to God. So how, how are you doing, not just with worship here, Saturday mornings, but your own private personal worship? I got convicted a few months ago. I just feel like I need, I need to be growing stronger in my own worship. And so I, I, I've started, I've made a little playlist, and I've started listening to a worship song at the beginning of my times with God uh, in the morning. And just to, to worship along. And I've, so I've, I've put some songs together, and it's been, it's been, I mean, some mornings are stronger than others, like everything else, but oh, there's been some sweet times of, of tears, of joy, of awe. How are you doing in, in your own personal, private worship? And then how are we doing here when we gather with God's people? This is what God's people do. And we see what Jesus has done for us. When we see what God did in Exodus 14, delivering Israel from Egypt. And when we see what Jesus has done in delivering us from sin, we will respond with song and praise and exaltation. That's what we will do. Now, second, we will remind ourselves of what Jesus has done and magnify him. That's what the Song of Moses does next, where there's great detail given to how God delivered them from Egypt. Great detail, lots of comments, and it's all, the response at the end of this is going to be a magnifying of the Lord. Start with verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. See all this detail here? Now think about the power and the grandeur of Pharaoh's chariots and armies. Every nation would have trembled at the thought of facing them. And they were there to recapture Israel, take them back into slavery, horrible slavery, but what does God do? He picks them up like you pick up a stone which you drop into the pond. Plop. Gone. Just like that. That's what God does. They went down into the depths like a stone. Verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Think of a pane of glass in a window, and all of a sudden it shatters into a thousand pieces. That's what God's power does to Pharaoh's armies. That's what God's power has done to our sin and our guilt. That's what he's done. Verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up 
in a heap. The deeps congealed, solidified in the heart of the sea. God caused the Red Sea to to part, leaving a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left, like we saw last week. Now, water just doesn't do that, right? Water always goes down to the lowest level. Water doesn't stand up as a wall. It's not what happens. But God created water. God can make water do whatever he wants it to do. God is sovereign over water and, and everything. And notice that he can do this with just the breath of his nostrils, like, done. Walls of water, okay? This is our God. Massive power, and the waters divided, and Israel went across. Verse 9. Now we see the enemy talking. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You feel that? What happens? Verse 10. You, God, blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So so do you see the, the detail that Moses is giving us in unfolding all the different perspectives, aspects, ways of looking at what God did in delivering Israel from Egypt. And all of this ends up culminating in this beautiful statement of magnifying God in verses 11 and 12. Look at how Israel responds to this detailed description. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. So because God saved Israel, she goes into detail, reminds herself of what God had done, and this in their hearts causes to well up magnifying. Who is like you, O God? And the same will be true of us. Jesus Christ has done the even greater deliverance, delivering us from sin's guilt and sin's power. And because Jesus has saved us, we remind ourselves of what he's done. We replay it. We think about it in detail. And the result is that we will magnify him. So it's very important that we think and remind ourselves and go into detail about what Jesus has done. That's that's one of the reasons why The songs that Pastor Ben and the worship team use here are songs that are full of biblical truth. Because truth is vital. Truth is like putting logs in the fireplace of worship. The more logs you have, the hotter that worship is going to be. Powerful lyrics, powerful truths, and powerful music to express those truths. What an awesome God, right? I love that. That's, that's the gift of music. So music plus truth equals an explosion of magnifying God in our hearts. That's what will happen. And I would encourage you in your own private worship to take time and just thank Jesus for what he's done. Detail in your mind before him what he's done. Oh, Jesus, you are and were fully God, 
and you laid aside all of your divine powers and privileges, and you humbled yourself, and you were born as a baby. Jesus, you did that to save me. And, and you came and you showed us who God is so that we could see and touch and hear. We could see you as you heal the sick. This is God in the flesh before our very eyes. As you cast the money changers out of the temple, God in the, the flesh. As you touched a leper, restoring him completely. As you forgave sinners. As you welcomed little children onto your lap and blessed them. This is God in the flesh. Jesus, you did that. And then, Jesus, you blameless, sinless, you took all of Steve Fuller's sins upon yourself and all the sins of all those who would trust you, and you were punished. The wrath of God for sin, which we deserved, was poured out upon you, and you absorbed it all. So now there is no wrath left for us. Jesus, thank you. And then you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and Satan. And so recount to yourself in detail, in your own private worship, what Jesus has done, and you will find welling up in your heart, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, Jesus, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? That's what Israel did, and that's what we will do when we see how Jesus has delivered us. So we've seen two responses so far that that we will experience when we see what Jesus has done. We will sing, praise, and exalt him, number one. We will remind ourselves of what he's done and magnify him, number two. And then third, this next section of the song, which I just, I love this. We will be confident that Jesus will bring us safely home. Look at verses 13 through 17. Now let me set the stage for these verses. Hundreds of years before God delivered Israel from Egypt, God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, he promised that he was going to deliver Israel from Egypt and take Israel to the promised land. Promise after promise after promise, land flowing with milk and honey. And in the next verses, we're going to see that described, verses 13 through 17. So what this song is saying is that because Israel has seen God's power and sovereignty in delivering them from Egypt. Therefore, they can be absolutely confident with that power and that sovereignty, he's going to fulfill his promise and take them to the promised land. So see this. Start with verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Now, the holy abode is another word for the promised land. So this raises a question. Why does it say you have guided them to your holy abode, to the promised land? Past tense, you have guided them. Why does it say past tense? Hasn't happened yet. Why doesn't it say you will guide them? The reason is because many times in Old Testament prophecies of the future, they use the past tense to show that as, as God's promise of this future act is as certain as if it has already happened in the past. It's a future event that God is saying he will do, but it's put in past tense because that's how certain, it's as certain as if it's already taken place. Keep reading, verse 14. 
The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. All these countries are countries that Israel will go through or pass by on their way to the promised land. Verse 16, terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. They've all heard what you did at the Red Sea. They're just like, still a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. So these are the nations, the foreign, warlike nations that Israel would have to go through to get to the promised land. And what God is promising is they are going to be as still as stone as you pass by because they've heard what your God has done. Amazing. Then verses 17 through 19. You will bring them in. Here Now, future tense. That's why you can know this whole thing is a prophecy of the future, a promise of the future. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where the temple will be. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And the reason they can be so sure that God will do that is because of verse 18. It's because the Lord will reign forever and ever. If God reigns, if he is the ruler, the sovereign authority over everything, then no one can stop God from doing what he's chosen to do. So how can they be so sure that God reigns over everything? One more time, verse 19. For, because, here's the reason, when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. So here's how it works. Israel sees God's power, parting the Red Sea and delivering them from Pharaoh's armies. And because of that, they know God has infinite power and total sovereignty. So nothing, nothing can thwart his purpose of bringing us to the promised land. That's how it works. And it works the same with us in terms of Jesus. We have seen Jesus' mercy and grace and love and power in paying for our sins on the cross and rising from the dead. We see mercy, love, power, authority in Jesus. And with that mercy and love and power and authority, we know that nothing can stop Jesus from thwarting his purpose to bring his redeemed, every single one of his redeemed, all the way to heaven. So understand this, church. This is so crucial. Because you've seen Jesus' power, love, authority, sovereignty, and because you're trusting him as your Savior, there's no other righteousness you're relying on, not your church going, not what your parents believe. It's, you're trusting him as your righteousness, as your forgiveness, his death on the cross. You're trusting him as your Savior. You're trusting him as your Lord. Not that you're perfect, but every part of your life you're seeking to surrender to him. You're fighting to surrender every area. You're battling every known sin. You're trusting him as Savior, as Lord, and you're trusting him as your treasure. He's my prize. He's my joy. He's what I want out of life. I want him. Savior, Lord, treasure. You've seen Jesus, death, resurrection, power, love, grace, authority. You're trusting him as Savior, Lord, and treasure. And so you can be 100% confident that you are going to be in heaven. 
because he is going to keep you. It's not because of how strong you are. Don't rely on that. That would make me hopeless if I was relying on my spirituality or godliness to get me there. But God will keep us going. God himself will keep you battling sin. God will keep you confessing your sin. God will keep you persevering through heartbreaking trials that you face. He will strengthen you when you're weak. When you're heartbroken, he will comfort you. When you're confused, he will guide you. When you sin, he will convict you. He will give you repentance. He will draw you back in repentance to himself. He will keep you on the road all the way to heaven. No one whom God saves will not end up in heaven. Everyone whom he saves will end up in heaven. So we do just like what Israel does here. We see what Jesus has done for us, just like Israel saw what God had done for them. They knew that God would surely take them to the promised land. We know that therefore nothing can stop Jesus. Nothing will get in the way of his purpose to bring us to the promised land, to heaven. Just let this rest upon you, church, because you're trusting Jesus Christ right now. It is absolutely certain that you are going to be in heaven forever with ever-increasing heart-filling joy in beholding God's glory in Christ with all of God's people forever. That's your certain and sure destiny. Mm. Now, one more. I love this last point. When we see what Jesus has done for us, our hearts will overflow with worship. Look at verses 20 and 21. Let's ask the question, why were these two verses included? Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord. This is the first line of the song with a little change. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Okay, so picture it. Shores of the Red Sea, over a million people, nation of Israel. They see God having delivered them. They burst forth and they worship God with the song of Moses, Exodus chapter 15. Then when they finish, Miriam the prophetess, just kind of, the picture I get is, she's just kind of like, overflowing with worship. Worship just bursts forth out of her. She grabs a tambourine. Ladies, let's go. And there they go, right? And they're dancing before the Lord. And, and she sings to them the first line of the song with one change. Did you notice the change? Instead of, I will sing to the Lord, which is, chapter, which is verse one, she urges them, sing to the Lord. Ladies, Grab your tambourine, let's dance, and ladies, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. He's triumphed gloriously. So she's urging them to join her as she worships. So at the end of the first worship time, she just bursts forth, overflows with more, draws the ladies together with her. They're all singing and dancing before the Lord. Now, I love cultures that dance. I, there was a couple that we sent out from our church in California who went and worked with a Central Asian people group. 
and Jan and I had the privilege of visiting them there. I remember the husband telling me, the men in this culture, they just love to dance. So guys will be hanging out, you know, drinking tea, whatever they're doing, and one of them will say, hey, let's dance. They'll say, yes, and they'll put something on their iPhone, and they'll all start doing that, you know, just doing their little, and they, they love to dance. I, I mean, Israel loved to dance. Remember when King David was dancing before the Lord in worship with all his heart? I love cultures that dance. So what is the point of these two verses? I think the point is this. As Israel saw what God had done in delivering them from Egypt, there were times when, like Miriam, just bursts forth in more worship, overflows with more worship, and the same thing will be true with us, church when we see what Jesus Christ has done for us. The Holy Spirit will come upon us, we'll just overflow with fresh worship, burst forth with worship. That might happen while you're driving to work. Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you. Might be while you're at Lulu's in line. I praise you for the cross, I'm forgiven, I'm certain going to heaven. Might be while you're getting car filled up with petrol at Adnock, just at different times where you're with your family. Just, you can overflow with worship and praise. And, and that, that can happen here as we're together. I love the times when we're worshiping, when there's just kind of, a, of, an, of an overflow of shouts Praise God! Thank you, Lord! Woohoo! You're awesome! Or when there's applause. Or, now, and, and make it clear when there's applause here, no one's applauding the worship band. We love the worship team up here. But we're applauding Jesus, right? And there will be times as we're worshiping when there will just be the Holy Spirit causing an outpouring, an overflowing of worship. That's what happens here with Israel as pictured in Miriam and the women all dancing together. And that'll happen in God's people as well. Just like with Israel, when we see what Jesus has done for us, first of all, we will sing, praise, and exalt him. Secondly, we will recount in detail how he's delivered us, exactly what he's done. Study that, ponder that, and as we do, there will be an overflowing of magnifying Jesus Christ. Who is like you, Lord Jesus Christ? Third, we will be confident, certain, secure. We are going to be in heaven forever, purchased through the blood of Christ. And then fourth, there will be times when we overflow with worship. So, let's stand together. I want to pray, and we're going to worship with one more song. Let's pray. We praise you for your deliverance of Israel thousands of years ago, delivering them from Egypt, and this beautiful picture of worship in response. And we praise you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how you've delivered us from sin, sin's guilt and power. And thank you that when we see that, we worship, we praise, we respond. Pour out your spirit upon us now, Lord, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.